How about a little better applause for the dads? Yeah. I feel very comfortable that the moms got a bigger applause a, few, a month ago, but uh, the dads deserved more than we gave them a second ago. Let me wish the dads happy Father's Day as well. What a tremendous gift it is to get to be a dad. I'm a dad of four boys and a huge responsibility. And we want this to be a place that helps bring out the very best in our men. And uh, we want to have a number of men in the world. Uh, if you're a dad or a grandpa, you have an incredible responsibility of modeling this to your children. But we display the masculine qualities of God in the world. And that's really, really important because we live in a world today that's full of men who display toxic masculinity. They're the violent ones that we read about in the news, but then there's also this movement to move away from masculinity and all its, all its beauty. And so here at Cornerstone, we want to um, just promote more and more of that. And uh, I can tell you that we're excited with the building and the construction hopefully being done this fall that we're getting our men's programs going again. And the focus of all the things we do for men and the things that we'll be focusing on in September will be around this idea of healthy masculinity and leaving a legacy um, with, with others. And so um, happy Father's Day. I can also tell you that this is the last Sunday that we will be outside, so that is good news for most of you. Everyone watching online is very happy, all right? Um, so we're getting some of our building back. We're getting the building that we vacated a month ago. We're getting that back, and so we're moving back in next Sunday. We'll be out of the elements. Uh, it'll be cooler. This room is remodeled and done, and we will be ready to be in there. Our kids' check-in will be done. Some of our kids' classrooms are finished. They're getting more space and more bathrooms are actually will be ready. Uh, so that's the good news. The bad news is we'll be in that temporary setup for several more weeks while they finish the new building. And so I've made the mistake many times now predicting when that thing would be done, and I am tired of looking like a fool. So I can just tell you that we are moving in for another temporary setup next week, but we will be out of the elements and be glad to have everyone uh, here with us for the rest of the summer. All right, today um, I'm going to spend some time teaching a couple parables that Jesus tells. We're in a series called Parables Kingdom Revealed. Parables are those kind of pithy stories that Jesus would tell that would allow people to connect uh, spiritual things, mysterious things, big things to everyday life so that they could understand the meaning that Jesus was, was trying to communicate. And because understanding God and his kingdom and even the depths of our heart can often be difficult. And so Jesus was a master. He told us parables. Now today we're going to go to one of the most famous passages in all the Bible where probably the most famous prayer that has ever been prayed is, is shared with, from Jesus with his disciples. But Jesus in Luke chapter 11 doesn't just give us the Lord's prayer. He gives us two parables along with that prayer to help us understand not just how we should pray, but what prayer is and how we should think about prayer and how we should posture our hearts and how we should come confidently in the things that God does. And, um, you know, prayer is one of those things. It's simple to understand it at some level. Our kids are learning to pray right now, but it is also as deep as the deepest ocean. There is always more to discover and, um, you know, we live in a world today, too, where we love novelty, we love new things, we love new self-help. There's very few things, if anything, in this world that can help a human heart like, like prayer can. And so we love talking about prayer here at Cornerstone. In fact, in a couple of weeks, we're going to start a new series where we're going to bring you some old, old prayers of the saints, like the prayer of St. Francis and the prayer of St. Patrick, just really neat prayers that have ministered to people over the years because learning to pray written prayers can actually help put language to um, the things that we're feeling if we don't have language ourselves. So you'll get to enjoy that in July. 
But I just want to make the point that prayer is one of those things that we never want to move too far away from here at Cornerstone because it can do for us what nothing else can. All right, so let's go to Luke chapter 11, and I'm going to read from verse 1, several verses here. And this is Luke's account of the Lord's Prayer. Matthew also records it in Matthew chapter 6. But here's Luke's account. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. Jesus often went away to pray, and his disciples would observe him. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Rabbis taught their disciples how to pray, so they're asking Jesus to do that. So Jesus gives them this in verse 2. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. So many of you recognize that prayer. It's abbreviated compared to Matthew's. Matthew gives us uh, more color to some of this prayer. So for example, where Jesus says, uh, pray that your kingdom come. Matthew adds your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But it's simply the same prayer that we would say to God, hey, your vision is our vision for our life. Your kingdom come. In my heart, in the world, at work, at school, in my dorm room. So it's the same prayer, the same elements, asking for provision, asking for forgiveness, asking God to lead us, to to protect us from certain things. But then Luke gives us something Matthew doesn't. He gives us two parables that Jesus teaches to help us understand what's actually taking place when we pray a prayer like this. So verse five, then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Now just remember here, that when Jesus would use parables, he'd often use rabbinic teaching and he would uh, use absurd illustrations at time to make a point. So he's being sarcastic here and he's telling a ridiculous story. And so we get this phrase, shameless audacity. Then he goes on in verse nine. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Verse 11 Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Here we go again. Ridiculous, right? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, how how, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? All right, so I want to make the last point really quick here. I want you to see the connection between prayer And this idea of receiving the Holy Spirit, because that is the movement that prayer takes us. And there's different parts along the way. But ultimately, prayer is meant to end in loving union between us and God. It's not so much about fixing us, asking for help. It's meant to be about friendship, loving union with God. Now, getting there, there are some points that Jesus makes along the way, and this is what I want you to see. You can understand prayer simply this way. It's about our position before God or God's position in our life. It's about petition. It's about asking for things. And lastly, it's about enjoying his presence and being present to him. And so I want to take you through these three things because they're all here in the teaching and each of the parables. So first of all, this idea of your position before God. Jesus uh, repeats himself in a sense here. He said, this is how you should pray. You start off by praying, our Father. 
It's okay to pray God, it's okay to pray Jesus, but he's making the point here to say, this is how we learn to relate to God. We relate to him as a father. Later on in verse 12, he's referred to as our heavenly father or your heavenly father. And so there's this idea that we share him together, but he's also our father. He's making the point. Now, the reason this is important is because a person's identity can be set on a firm foundation if you understand who you belong to and what family you belong to. And Jesus is doing this thing that he often did. He's trying to help people see that you belong to God. No matter what anyone has ever told you, no matter what you've done in your life, no matter whether or not you've thought of God before, every second of every day of our life, we belong to him. That's how he sees us. There's never been a day that he hasn't looked at us and smiled and said, I want to be with them. There's never been a day that he's looked at us and said, there's not a place for me at, there, at my table. In fact, he's constantly preparing that place for us. He's pursuing us. We've always belonged to God. Now, when a person realizes this, it transforms their idea of who they are. So here's an example of it that happens very early in life. When a baby is born, one of the first things a baby does when they open their eyes is they look for their mother's face, right? I mean, for those of us that are parents, that is such a special moment when your baby looks at you for the first time. I can remember the boys, they didn't look at me, they looked at their mom, but it was amazing for them to look right into their mother's eyes. This is why people do this. You're constantly looking the, your entire life for someone to look back at you to smile. It's this primal thing inside that all humans to connect. And so babies look for their mother's face immediately because they're desiring to connect to them. But it goes further than that. The reason babies and little kids want to be face-to-face -face with their parents or sit on their lap or be in close proximity is they are orienting themselves in the scope of a great big world based on where their parents are. Your position in life early on entirely comes from your relationship with your parents or the lack of relationship you have with your parents or other caregivers. There's nothing we can do to change this Identity is formed in those, those early years when you look back and you see a face looking at you. Peace and joy is released. But there is a sense that I belong in this world because I belong to this person. Now contrast that to what happens over the course of life. So a kid's identity is formed because of the relationship they have with their parents, their proximity to their parents, their access to their parents. But as we get older, aren't we told that your identity is now formed defined by the things you can do or the things you can't do or the crud you've done in your past. We begin to take on ourselves all of these different labels and expectations and what we're doing as life goes on is we're reorienting our position in the world based on ourselves and other people's expectations. Now that's a danger that we all face. We all struggle with it. It's never gonna go away. But Jesus here is speaking to adults saying, Think of God like the little child who's looking for their mother's face thinks of her. Or think of the child who finds safety in the midst of the crowd when their dad picks them up and they, they see their dad face to face. That is your position in this world. You belong to God, which means that he belongs to you. And so this, you know, this idea that you would go and Jesus uses this idea that you just ask even at ridiculous times. One thing about my kids is they never filter when and what they ask us for, really. I mean, they do as they get older, but when they're little, it's just like everything we have belongs to them. There's not a space of our house that they don't think belongs to them. 
That's why there's locks on doors, right? That's why there's backyards. You just throw them out there and lock the door and say, we'll see you at dinner. Because there are no boundaries to them. Now, that would be so weird for them to behave that way with the neighbors or strangers or their teachers at school or as they get older, their bosses at work. But it's not weird for a little child to behave that way with their parents. In fact, it's kind of weird when you see kids running around super calculated and nervous all the time around their parents. Isn't that more weird? Something's been infused in them that says it's not safe to be around their parents. See, your position is like that. That is what it's like when you go to pray. It's like the kid that's jumping up on their parents' lap and saying, I just want to be with you. I don't have to worry about what it is that I'm asking for. Our position is the place that we start when we think about prayer. You have a heavenly father. He belongs to you, which means you belong to him. That means that you are a beloved child. Every day of your life, that's who you are. I just love the image that there's never been a day that God has not looked on you and not smiled. He smiles when he thinks about you. Even on your worst day, he smiles when he thinks about you. Just like the good dads in this courtyard and listening at home smile when they think about their children. They give them joy. Uh, Eugene Peterson says, there's only really one bad way to pray or there's a a certain posture. And this is what he says. Pose, pretense, and posturing are are the primary dangers that threaten prayer. Ignorance is not an impediment. And most emphatically, neither is sin. Rather, rather we pray naturally, boldly, and honestly. What he's saying is, you could come with all of your mistakes. You could come completely naive to what it is that God's doing in the world. None of those things are barriers from prayer. The only things that are is this idea of pretending or posturing ourselves so that we might get more from God. Uh, This just exposes, by the way, when we talk about prayer, how many of us have in our mind this idea that we make deals with God. And I'm gonna get to that in a moment. But we have this idea that if we do certain things, God will return it in certain ways. That's, you know, that, that's not how we enter into a relationship with a parent. It's unconditional love, full access. That's how we pray. So we start with position. Jesus makes that point. Then Jesus asks his disciples and all those that are listening, including us, he says, ask God for stuff. It's okay. It's okay to ask God to provide for your needs. It's okay to ask God for forgiveness. In fact, that's an incredible prayer. It's okay to ask for God's grace. It's okay to ask for God's love. It's okay to ask that God would lead you. It's okay to ask that God would protect your family. All of those things. God is incredibly generous. I mean, that's part of the point of this whole teaching on prayer is that God is so generous. If the, if the friend is generous enough just out of obligation to get down and give food to his friend so he can feed the, the stranger that's walking by, I mean, how much more a generous, loving father wants to share with us? And so Jesus makes that point, shameless audacity. You should come with shameless audacity to God even though you don't need it. To ask God to be involved in your life to provide for your needs. Now saying that, that's not the hard part. Asking God for the things that you need is not the hard part. The hard part comes later when it seems that God doesn't always answer our prayers all the time the way that we would want them to be answered. Now one nice thing if you've been following Jesus for a period of time is you have perspective and you can look back on your life and you can look at the ways God has provided for you and answered your prayers. You can also look back at your life and see how God provided by not answering certain prayers. How many of you have a story like that? You're just so glad God did not give you what you wanted when you asked for it. Yeah, absolutely. It's a part of life. So that's all helpful. 
But what's not helpful is in the midst of a struggle, especially when someone's sick or someone's suffering or you're having a hard time and you're asking God for help and it seems like he's not hearing you, he's not doing anything. Because then we start to wrestle with this idea, we have this loving father who's generous, who's able to do everything. Why isn't he coming through for me? And one thing I've learned from being a pastor for 20 years when trying to answer this question for for people is that I've learned that I've learned nothing. It's an absolute mystery to me why God answers some prayers the way he does, why God seems to answer certain prayers and doesn't answer other ones. It is an absolute mystery to me. But the other thing that I do know is that I've seen God come through. I've seen God provide. Uh, I've journeyed with people long enough that I can hear their story saying, I'm so grateful that God provided that prayer, what I was asking for, by not giving me what I wanted. So I can look at it and say, prayer absolutely works, but I have nothing comforting to say to someone who's struggling when they're waiting for God. I feel like that's something that's between each of us and God. It's okay to wrestle with him that way. Now, let me give you uh, one of the heaviest um, examples of that that's ever happened here at Cornerstone. I've told you this story, these two stories before, but they are such a part of forming the way we think about prayer here. I mean, they've influenced people in just an incredible way. And even if you weren't familiar with these two stories of these two babies, uh, you probably, if you've been around a church or you've been a person of prayer or you've even been around the sick, you have had a similar experience to one of these and it has shaped the way you think about God and the th- way you think about prayer, okay? So let me just tell you both these stories. It's about two little babies. The first one is a little baby named Zev. And Zev and his parents went through this incredible ordeal. He's got a bunch of brothers as well. But Ben and Stephanie had to, uh, were, were faced with this incredible scare. She was told at 23 weeks of pregnancy, pregnancy that she had to deliver this baby. And, you know, that's way too early. That's just what I could tell you. The dads are like, how long does it take to be pregnant? We can't remember. You know, our wives, they know the day, how many days it takes. But I'll just tell you that it's like half the time needed for a healthy baby to come out. The doctors told Ben and Stephanie that Zev's chance of survival were like in the single digits. And less likely, even if he did survive, would this baby be like have a, just a healthy, normal life. They're like, this, this is as bad as it can get. And so their plan was after they flew him down flight for life to Denver was they were going to help deliver the baby to give the baby a chance and to save Stephanie. And they were just waiting for a peaceful passing of the baby. Well, the alarm went off to the church and people began to pray and friends went down to the hospital and there were with, with Ben and Stephanie. And I can just tell you this, there, there was, it was one set of bad news after another, but there was one miracle after another. And the first miracle was this, Zev, who came out without developed lungs, they said his lungs aren't viable, they're not big enough to help him breathe, his heart's not big enough to pump blood, he came out screaming and crying, which is actually a good sign. It was the first miracle. And thing like that after that just kept happening. I remember I went and uh, visited uh, the little guy in the hospital a couple times, and he was sitting there in that little box that's keeping him alive, and it was literally like God was finishing the project of, you know, building this baby outside his, her, his mother's womb, and I would look at, at Zev, and uh, his fingers had not yet separated. That's how premature he was. His eyelids had not yet separated. 
he looked like a baby and he fully was this, this human with, with dignity and a future, but he was just in this vulnerable place and people prayed and they prayed and there were friends the housers that were at the hospital night after night praying and praying and alarms would go off and, and prayer requests would come out in the middle of the night because he'd have a bad night and people would pray and they'd pray and they'd pray. And today, that little dude runs around and raises hell here, which is exactly what little boys should do. He's wild. <laughs> we had our, our Christmas uh, caroling service last December and we had lights all over down here and he literally was picking them up and throwing them around and I thought if anyone is allowed to mess things up here it's that boy that's the miracle baby walking around it's amazing uh, you can go on our website and hear their story I could, a lot more there's several more details amazing things that happen just look up Ben and Stephanie on our stories and you can hear more about that incredible story it was amazing we need to know that like God did something amazing for that little boy in that family in our church. It was amazing. It was a miracle. It's not a coincidence. The doctor said the same thing. Now let me tell you another story. Something happened a few years before. There's a little girl named Olivia that was born. And her parents were surprised that she had um, some issues. And um, uh, Dave and Danae uh, ended up with getting some really bad news after the baby was born. And that is that she just had serious problems. And so again, the alarm went off in the church. We need to pray for this little girl. She's in the hospital. People were down there visiting. Elise and I went to visit. We prayed with the family. People trusted God. We asked God to do amazing things. And 10 days after her birth and the day after Elise and I visited this little girl and her family, she died. She passed. And we held her memorial service in this room. And I can tell you that up in the front, there was this tiny casket that when you look at something like that, there's something that offends like our very soul. It, it was awful. At the time, there was nothing good about it. It was just tragic and devastating. And it's not because people didn't pray and it's not because people didn't trust God, but that little girl is not with us. And so if we spend time talking about God providing for our needs and that God can do amazing things, we also have to talk about the times when he chooses not to. Brian White, does it work out that way for certain people? Same answer I'll give you. That I've been giving people a long time. I don't know. I don't know. But what I do know is that God can work through prayer. What I do know is God is loving. What I do know is God is able. He's powerful. He's generous. And so we are people that are instructed to pray. So Jesus is really, you know, it's pretty simple here. He says, ask for your food, ask for some protection. But that also includes asking for the great big things in life. And that's okay. Now, these are things that we have to hold together because many of you right now are praying for your first pregnancy. Many of the ladies here would be, love to be a mother. Many of you are praying for a spouse. Many of you are praying for a new job. Many of you are praying for a wayward son or daughter to come back. Many of you are praying for someone that is sick and you hear stories like Zev and you're just like, God, give us one of those miracles. See, this is a wrestling. When you're a person of prayer, you have to learn to wrestle with God because of this very thing. It is a mystery why God answers certain things. What I can tell you is that he doesn't play favorites. He doesn't pick and choose based on who he loves the most. It's not that way. In fact, someday we will understand better what he was doing. Now, Tim Keller has a quote that is a little bit too simple, but it can kind of help us in understanding this rustling. This is what he says in his book on prayer. God will either give us what we ask for in prayer 
or give us what we would have asked for if we knew everything that he knows. So God will give you what you ask for in prayer or God will give us everything that we would ask for if we knew everything. Now that's a little easier to say, I'm glad I didn't get that job. I'm glad I didn't marry that person. It's a little harder when we're talking about something like death. But could it be that that will be true someday for Olivia's family? That they, in some amazing way, will see what God did because of something tragic? Again, I don't know, but that sounds the way God works. And so we have this position before God. He's our father. We're his children. We're asked to come with strong petitions to the Lord to be brave and to ask God for things. But then we get to the real point of prayer and this is really what I, what I want you to walk away with the most today. And it's the idea of we are meant to connect to his presence. So look what we see Jesus almost promising here. He says, ask for these things. Ask, it'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open to you. But then look how he, he, he puts a bow on this whole thing of asking. What is it that he says that he'll give you when you ask? He says, I will give you myself. I will give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? See, I think Jesus is saying something here. He said, there are needs in this world, but the ultimate need of every human heart is loving union with God. It's connection with him. It's friendship with him. It's connection with your Father. And that is the thing that's promised here. And that's not a small thing. Because even if you go back to the example of people suffering as they lose someone, one of the few things that gets people through that time, in addition to loving friends, it's loving union with God. It's when they don't abandon their relationship with God, but they lean on him more and he helps them through those times. See, Jesus is lifting union with God above all other things, saying this is the thing that God promises you. God himself is the ultimate gift of prayer. Friendship with Jesus, the affirmation of the Father, knowing that he's with you, feeling loved by him, the whispers of God, that is the ultimate gift of prayer. Woodrow Kroll says, you are never alone when you are alone with God. How many times do we feel alone, especially in the midst of suffering, like people are with you, but it's a lonely walk. You're never alone during that time because God is with you. The Holy Spirit is poured out in our life. If you're, if you're new to faith and you haven't been initiated to, to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is, is part of God. I mean, you have God the Father, you have the Son, and you have Jesus. The Spirit is the perfect representation of Jesus in this world. And Jesus perfectly fulfilled the, the will of the Father. And so you have these three personalities submitting to one another, living with, dwelling within one another, sharing that community with us. And the Spirit is this incredible gift. It's the ultimate connection between heaven and earth. It's the ultimate connection between you and Jesus. Someday, we will get to walk and talk with Jesus. It will be an incredible gift. But for now, he gives us his very personality, his very spirit to be with us. It's loving union. Bill Johnson says, the Holy Spirit is God on earth. The Spirit is that Spirit that perfectly represents Jesus, as I said. Jesus who perfectly represents the Father. In Hebrew, uh, the first language that the Holy Spirit was used and described, it's described as the Ruach HaKodesh, which in Hebrew means the wind of God or the breath of God. So it's not an accident. God is sending it. 
Later, Greek writers would use uh, words like the hagios pneuma, which is the most holy, sacred spirit or personality or character to describe the Holy Spirit. Throughout the scriptures and just in life, the Holy Spirit has been illustrated as a dove. Remember how it's described when it ascends on Jesus? Uh, our Celtic brothers and sisters, Celtic Christian brothers and sisters from the past, they use the illustration of the dove to describe the Holy Spirit, hovering, gentle, present, but they also used with the illustration of the dove, a wild goose that all of a sudden shows up and you can't control it. But with the goose comes tons of life and energy and excitement. They use both of those to describe the Holy Spirit. I think they're both helpful. And many African-American churches still today, but going back to the days of slavery, they, uh, the Holy Spirit wasn't described as the Holy Spirit. It's described as the Holy Ghost, which you often read in certain translations because they wanted to make the Holy Spirit seem more like a present personality in the world, which he is. And really, I shouldn't say he is because in the scriptures, the Spirit is described in a feminine way. The Spirit is beautiful. It, it shows us the feminine qualities of God. And so the Spirit becomes the gift that allows us to experience loving union with God. And so the question is, how is it that we connect? How is it that we stay filled? Well, part of the answer to that question is here in the teaching. It's through prayer. Prayer is not just about asking. Prayer is about being with him, receiving. Okay? So um, I, just get to, I want you to get the point that ultimately the gift of prayer is God himself, the Spirit. But with the Spirit, through prayer, comes other gifts. And this often gets talked about in churches, but let me say a few things. With the Spirit comes the charisma, the power of God that we call the spiritual gifts that's shared with the whole church. And with the Spirit comes the character of God that's birthed in a person that's called the fruits of the Spirit. And with the Spirit comes the voice of God. God can actually speak to you. You can learn to listen. You can hear his voice and experience that loving union. Here's another question that's good besides why doesn't God answer every prayer? Here's, here's another question. If God is so close and so caring and so involved in my life and so, um, so much desires to, to experience union with me and speak to me, why is it that it's so hard for us to hear him? How many of you have had a hard time hearing from God at certain times in your life? Or maybe you've never heard from God, okay? It's something that we all share. What I can tell you is... Uh, this is something that you can learn to do. Prayer is a gift, but prayer is also a skill. You can learn to discern the voice of God from the other voices in your head, from voices in the world, from Satan. You can learn to discern his voice. But I also say this, we live in a world that's really, really good at desensitizing us to what God is doing, okay? So our world is loud, busy, fast-paced. Because of that, it can be really hard to hear God's gentle voice. God doesn't scream at us. I mean, there are certain times where he really gets people's attention. But more often than not, God whispers to us. He quietly speaks to our heart rather than a loud voice from the outside. So if he speaks as the Old Testament prophet described as a gentle whisper, how is it that we hear a gentle whisper, but we have to slow down and be quiet and to learn to listen? The pace of the world today, I believe, is the single biggest factor keeping people from hearing what God is saying to them. It is so loud and so busy. 
And that is why whatever time you can carve out, whether it's one hour a day where you spend with him, you shut your phone off, that's helpful. Or you put it in the other room. Or one day a week, which is called the Sabbath, where we slow down enough for loving union. We slow down enough to catch up and see what God is doing. Or whether it's vacations where you're not just running ragged, but you're actually relaxing and listening and spending time praying. All of those times are very valuable because we're slowing down, getting quiet enough, and we're tuning our ear to hear God who can speak to us. And that's part of the gift of the Holy Spirit is he can do that. Prayer helps us have the eyes to see. So here's an illustration of that. So a few weeks ago, we had these TV screens out here. And um, outside church has been a little bit of an adventure. We had snow the second week, uh, technical problems. It's probably going to rain today on, on someone. Hopefully not you guys. At least second service is the suckers that get the rain today. Um, but one of the Sundays, we had people saying, Brian, I can't see the screen. And I'm looking at the screen. I'm like, I'm reading the words right now. This happened to several of our staff including Aaron. We're like, why can't we see the screen? And then we realized that if you had polarized glasses on, you can't see the screen. So take your glasses off. And the, oh, it's right there, right in front of me. It's a simple illustration, but it's meant to make the point that prayer actually can work that way. When you're quiet, when you prioritize prayer in your life, when you come position like a son or daughter before God. You come with your petitions, but you're there for loving union to listen to him. Eventually, it's like taking the glasses off. You will see what's right in front of you. He is with you. And he wants to speak and he cares about you. He wants to speak to you. All right, now as I close, I could give you many, many uh, other reasons and stories why I think prayer needs to be more and more a part of our life. It need, we need reminded of it. We need to continue to make it a priority in our life. It has incredible results. Uh, there's things that we get from prayer that you can't get from anywhere else, but I'll make the point this way around the, the issue of anxiety. So uh, let me start with this. Uh, going back to the year before March 2020, so the whole world changed that day or that week, right? March 2020. Uh, but for about a year up to then, we here at Cornerstone were just experiencing something that we had, hadn't experienced in a really long time. There were just a lot of people who were far from God ending up in our groups, in your homes, in conversations, in our services on Sunday, who were far from God, but they came very hungry and open to hear from him. And it was happening so often that we used a word that we don't like using very often here because it often gets misused and it's used to manipulate people, but we were beginning to use words like revival and renewal. It seemed like something extra was happening. And what we would hear from people is, they're so gripped with an anxious mind and an anxious heart. And then you add on top of that other things like depression, but just for a moment, we'll stay with anxiety. So many people with that, they, they would come and they'd say, I felt something or someone tell me that worship can help. Like it might give me peace. I heard someone share with me that prayer helps. Can you teach me to pray? Do you know how weird it is for a pastor in Boulder to be asked by someone in Boulder, can you teach me to pray? a stranger, that stuff doesn't, doesn't happen very often. But what's happening is the world is squeezing people and we're exhausting all of our other resources and there are actually, there's this message out there, I'm so glad it's out and I wish it was more people heard it and that is that God could be an ever-present help in times of trouble. 
God actually brings peace. Loving union with God brings shalom, which is described as uh, the wholeness, health, and rest of God. How about our heart and our mind feeling that way? So the last few years have been a disruption, but have the causes of anxiety gone down or increased? Well, we all know the answer to that, right? It's crazy. It feels like all hell has broken loose. So recently I've been doing some more reading just about anxiety, and I'm wanting our church to be a place that helps with these issues. And there's a lot to read about just a person's uh, in, individual inner life. And just, you know, you can meet with the counselor and you can learn some new strategies. And there are certain, certain things that we can do to manage anxiety. And a lot of times we think about the people who are more anxious. In a, a crowd this size, there are certain people that really struggle with it. And that's okay. I mean, that's just your thing. We all have our own. We all have different things. But there's more writing that's coming out about how the whole world is anxious. That it's not just about the way certain people are predispositioned or certain things that have happened to certain people, but the entire world is more anxious than the world used to be. And this is how they're beginning to describe it and, and, and even to say this is where it comes from. Uh, early in the 19th century, the world started to connect in ways that it hadn't before. And there was a little invention called the telegraph that the telegraph allowed news and messages from loved ones and news about current events to, to spread across, uh, you know, far, far distances. Uh, the telegraph connected the country. In 1850, a telegraph line was laid across the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean, and for the first time, news could spread between North America and Europe, not in weeks, but in minutes. And it's about that time where the world started to connect more. And then you add other things like mass migration and travel and, um, and of course, the internet and mass media. The world, for the last 150 years, has been connecting more and more and more. And there are some good things that come with those connections. I mean, the wealth of the world has increased uh, the poorest poor are less poor than they used to be. Uh, health is better in many parts of the world where it was just absolutely devastating. And really, the reason those things still exist today is usually it has to do with corrupt governments, not because there's a lack of resources. There's connection. People can do things. So there's some good things that have resulted in these connections. But one of the bad things that most people agree with is that the more connected the world is, the more complicated it is. And the more complicated something is, the more expectations that come on a person, and usually what that results in is the person becomes more anxious. So a more connected world becomes a more complex world, becomes a more anxious world. So if you just think about your life too, you are so connected. Your connections allow you to run at, at hyperspeed. Tons of things to do during the week because there's so many connections. All those connections lead to lots of relationships. With the relationships comes lots of expectations, lots of potential for conflict. Connection leads to complication or complexity, and complexity leads to anxiety. Now, here's the good news for a person that struggles with anxiety. It's not just that something's wrong with you. We all face it. The bad news is, though, we're all set in the same soup, and it's dangerous and we see the results of that in the world today. People's uh, limited capacity to deal with conflict, conflict. People's inability and lack of capacity to deal with someone who thinks different from them. I mean, we, there are so many of us that just live with like, you feel like you can't handle another thing. The world is an anxious world. 
Now, for most of that time, from the beginning of these connections, as anxiety began to uh, just increase in the modern world, people have been trying to come up with solutions. And there are certain things that help. Many of you are taking part in those. Did you know, here's an example of a silly example of something that was meant to help anxiety disorders. Coca-Cola was created as a way to calm people's anxiety. It is now the newest addiction or the oldest addiction. But there are many things. There's, anxiety's been given different labels along the way. And it's not just that we're, we have language to describe it. There really are more people anxious because there's more causes of anxiety in the world and it's systemic, it's, it's the atmosphere, it's everything around us. Okay, so if that's happening all the time, if every minute of every day you could be busy doing things, being discipled to be more anxious, what is one thing that you can do to offset that? What is a remedy it's not a silver bullet, but what is one of those things that can grow health, that can help? Well, one of those things, maybe the most important thing, is quiet moments, slow moments, quiet times, being with God, which we call prayer. Loving union with him. I can tell you this about Jesus the Spirit will speak that voice of Jesus. Jesus will never come to you with an anxious message. He is full of peace. Like the child that searches for their parent's face early on, when you see his face, when you notice his presence, guess what will happen in you? Joy will be released. Joy makes you resilient to anxiety. Peace will be released. One thing that's amazing about the Bible, in the world that's full of new great ideas, there are some ideas that still have not been outdone. We have not progressed past the gift of prayer. Prayer has the unmatched potential to settle us, quiet us, connect us, and lead us to joy and peace. And so, just as your pastor, I wanna encourage you to just make a renewed commitment to have a life of prayer. And um, I'm gonna give us a chance to pray together. And so I wanna invite you to bow your head. And I wanna read you something that a friend of mine gave me this morning. So we have a friend, a friend of mine here at Cornerstone and his name is Deborah Backus and she's on our church council. And she prays for our church literally every day. She gets woken up in the night and prays for us. And she often hears from the Lord and she gives me these messages and I often don't share them with you because it's private and sometimes it weirds people out to say, hey, we heard this from God. But I want you to hear what she heard from God praying for you this week. So just with your eyes closed, just want you to meditate on this and then I'll close this with the, Father, the Lord's prayer. This is what she heard the Lord say. She heard, children, come near to me. Don't hesitate. I want to fill you again and again. Come early to me, to, to my table Eat with me there. I love you and desire you to be near. Stay for a while. Linger a bit longer. Stay until I fill you. Then go out and do your works for the day. It is an offering, a sacrifice I will guide you. Fill you with whatever you need to be victorious. 3,000 years ago, I was with them in the desert, walking with them daily, so I daily walk with you. But you must come near to me. Stay near to me throughout your life and I may lead you and guide you and take you to that place of rest. 
And so, Father, I thank you for those words. They are so true. And I bless my friends today with loving union. I bless them with an increased desire to carve out time in their busy day, their busy week, their busy year to be quiet enough, to slow down enough to be with you. May the anxiety in their heart or the things that they feel, may those things actually be a sign that they need more time with you. Father, make us bold as we come to you. We are your sons and daughters. Help us trust you in the the mystery that is prayer. But most of all, Father, I pray that we would receive from you the greatest gift of all, which is you, friendship, love. And so we say, Father, we say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive our sins as we forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us into temptation. Thank you for teaching us to pray. Thank you for the gift of prayer. We love you. We honor you. Remind us many times this week of this incredible gift. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.